The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. 60 seconds after you die, can you imagine the other side, the unknown? Heaven is real, but so is hell. Imagine heaven. It's better than that. To be made new, forever changed, transformed, and ushered into His presence. The holy city of God. Finally knowing what it's like. What is life and light of eternity? Your soul will never die. So what awaits after all of this life? That is eternity. We're going to talk this morning about eternity. And, uh... We're actually going to talk over several weeks about that. Over years of serving as your pastor, uh, I've kind of constantly or consciously maybe tried to uh, not refer to my family or circumstances in my family very often. Really, I'm I'm pretty I'm kind of a private person when it comes to that. But when my mother died, uh, my faith was was severely shaken, as you might imagine. Uh, she was young; she was just sixty, and uh, you know, no longer was I a pastor serving, the, trying to serve those who were, or comfort those who were grieving, but I was a son who had a loss, and many of y'all have experienced losses also, and, uh, you know, looking for answers, and looking for uh, reasons, and really trying to question a lot of things, uh, and at that point, you kind of move from knowing what you believe or maybe knowing what you've been taught about eternity and then really believing that. It's where it puts your faith to test and uh, you begin to really think about uh, what eternity really means. So this morning as we uh, move into this series of eternity, we're going to cover a lot of different subjects. Most of those you saw on the bumper this morning. Uh, but that 18 inches from your head to your heart is a long way. You can believe something in your head, uh, but it takes believing something within your heart. And that's what we're going to think about this week. And what happens one minute after you die? I, the, really, you could, the, the title could be, What Happens One Second After You Die? And Erwin uh, Lutzer, he, pastor of Moody Church in Chicago, he wrote a book called One Minute After You Die... And here's a quote from that book. One minute after you die, you slip behind the parted curtain. You will either be enjoying a personal welcome from Christ or catching your first glimpse of gloom as you've never known it. Either way, your future will be irrevocably fixed and eternally unchangeable. Those who find themselves in heaven will be surrounded by friends whom they've known on earth. Every description of heaven they've heard will pale in the light of its reality. And all of this forever. Others, indeed many others, will be shrouded in darkness, a region of depravity, an unending regret. There, with all of their memories and feelings fully intact, images of their life on earth will return to haunt them. They will be 
they will think back to their friends, family, and relatives. They will brood over opportunities and squandered chances and intuitively know that their future is both hopeless and unending. For them, death for, for them, death will be far worse than they imagined. And so while relatives and friends plan your funeral, decide on a casket, your burial plot, and the pallbearers, you will be more alive than you've ever been. You will either see God on his throne, surrounded by his angels and redeemed humanity, or you will feel incredible weight of guilt and abandonment. There is no destination midway between these two extremities, just gladness and gloom. This morning, as we think about this one minute after we die, then I want us to go back and look at this question. What, what's the first thing that's going to happen to us when we die? What's the very first thing? And, and this is not going to be my opinion. We're going to draw these conclusions from Luke. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 16, and it's really pretty clear. So you don't have to leave here this morning thinking that this was Jake's ideal or this is something that, that this denomination or that denomination has come up with. We are going to look at Jesus' own words about what happens immediately after we die, and, and this is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And you may have heard that story, and Jesus tells uh, a story that gives a glimpse uh, into life on the other side of death. And that's what he's dealing with here, and this story is unique to the book of Acts. It's the only one where we find these, these characters, and I kind of come to the point of believing that for us today, this is not a parable, but I believe it's a real story about two real men, and the report of the fate of these two men. So in Luke chapter 16, and we'll start in verse 19, Luke 16, 19, there was a certain man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously in every day. Now there's a reason that this description is given, and that's what we're going to talk about here in just a minute. In verse 20, but there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried to the angels, to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip his finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in his flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you're in torment. So besides all of these things, between you and us, there is a great gulf which is fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass into us. Verse 27, then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. 
For I have five brothers, that they may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, They have Moses and prophets. Let him hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, if one comes to them from the dead, then they will repent. Now I want to stop right here and say, if you would say this morning, you know, if someone come from the dead, I would believe. Well, let me tell you, somebody did come from the dead. It's Jesus Christ. And what do people do? They deny it. What did they do in Jesus' day? They denied it. So Abraham is saying, they have the prophets. They have these who can tell. And he says, no, if someone would be raised from the dead, they'll believe and they'll repent. Verse 31 says, But he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one is raised from the dead. Let's pray together. Father, this morning I pray again that your word would be true, that your word would be clear. And Lord, I pray most of all that Satan would be bound from this place, knowing that he desires nothing more than to steal away your words today. Lord, I pray your words would fall upon our hearts, that they would fall on fertile grounds, and Father, that we would have an understanding of your word and how it applies to us in this day, in this hour, and I pray this in the name of Jesus. The first thing, one minute after you die, all earthly prosperity, all earthly suffering is ended. Now hear that, all earthly prosperity... And all earthly suffering, all of those things are ended immediately. And we find that in this story. This rich man says he was clothed in fine linens. He was clothed in purple dress, the beggar in rags. This rich man, he lived in a stately mansion. We see that in the story. The beggar, he was laid by some sympathetic friends at the gate of this mansion. The rich man had a healthy, well-nourished body. The, the beggar was full of sores. The rich man had, had a, a luxurious life every day. And, and the beggar, he lived on crumbs from this table. The, the rich man had physicians to care for him. And the poor man had dogs that came and licked his sores. So there's a huge contrast <clears throat> being drawn here between the life of the rich man and the life of Lazarus. These two men... Listen, had nothing in common on this earth. They had nothing in common. They, they were nothing alike. This rich man's extremely wealthy. His, his robes, uh, what he wore, it, it, it gives a, a picture that the finest clothes that money could buy was, was what he had. He had a large home. How do we know that? The fact that he had a gate, that would likely suggest that this home was a mansion, because that would have been uh, required at a mansion. He lived in luxury every day. He was flamboyant. He was flashy. His his wealth, all the people knew, the rich man, he assumed uh, to be wealthy because uh, we assume that he's healthy because there's no mention of any physical problems. Likewise, today, many people in this life, they're living a life like the rich man. You may say, well, I don't have a mansion with a gate, and, and I don't have all the, the fineries and all the things, but, but so many people live a life, they're healthy, they're making every day, and they're making no preparations for when this life comes to an end. That's the picture we see of the rich man. He, he's making no preparations. He's living a life. And the irony of this is that the rich man who remains unknown in this story, 
We don't have His name. We, we have a man who, who all would have known, who, whose name is not included in his story. It's not mentioned for a specific reason, I think. And the reason, he did not have a relationship with God. So his name is not even mentioned. Lazarus, he lived an extremely different lifestyle. The Bible says that he, he's poor. He, he's beyond our ability, really, to understand how he truly was poor. Lazarus was very sick. He was unable to work. He, he was came. He was a beggar. He had, he had no means to support himself. He, he simply was, was there with, with no chance. He, he became a beggar with no means of support. He, he was dependent on each day the goodwill of someone else. So he was there with, with nothing. He was, he was satisfied. And, and when you study this passage as the king's cooks, they would have breads and different things they would make. And uh, if you've ever eaten something out of a stone, I love that stone pizza. Did you eat any of that pizza at the Cotton Harvest Festival? And I, that, that guy's going to put a pizza in, and he has a, a stone oven that uh, is a wood-fired oven, and he... he cooks the pizza in that wood-fired oven. And, and as he does that, some of, the, some of the crust around it may get a little overdone. It may get a little burnt. And I like it okay, but, but a lot of times people will break that off and throw it away. And at the king's table, those things that were unedible, those things that were burnt, the crumbs that, that fell aside, that were swept up, Lazarus was happy just eating those things, those, those crumbs that fell from the king's table. Yet Lazarus was blessed. He was blessed in that, that he apparently knew God, and the word Lazarus means God is my helper. Now, if you've been in church and you think about Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, this is a different Lazarus, okay? This is not the same one. So, so this, this means God is my helper, and there's a direct connection between his name and, and the results of his eternity, as we look at this story, the rich man and Lazarus, they lived completely different lives. Totally different lives. But they had this one thing in common. And folks, us in this room today, we have one thing in common. Now, we may have a lot of things in common, but this one thing we share together, both men died. And folks, life is, it, it, it's going to come to an end. The Bible says that all men are going to die and face judgment Unless the Lord comes back first. And if the Lord comes back first, it says those who are dead will be raised up and will be joined together with Christ. So the only way that we'll ever escape death is if, if Christ comes before we die. Now, I don't want you to leave here down and out this morning. That's just a fact. We all can understand that. So they had this one thing. They both died, yet death is not the end of our existence. That's the message today. Death doesn't end our existence. Both Lazarus and the rich man, at the point of their physical death, their body continued to function. They, they lived on, and the soul and, and who we are, our spirit, they live for eternity. Now, we, we can't fathom eternity. I can't fathom eternity. But, but our, our, our soul and, and our spirit, they will live for eternity. It doesn't matter if you're saved, if you're lost, if you've accepted Christ, if you've denied Christ. Your spirit and your soul will live forever. We're created. We're never going to wear out. Our body, our soul, our spirit, it'll never wear out. It, it's, it, it, it is there for all of eternity. We need to remember that this morning. 
At death, the invisible part of our, of our, of our being, the invisible part that we don't see, but the part that we know, our spirit and our soul, it leaves us. Now, y'all know me and y'all know each other by what we see on the outside, but our outward, our outward appearance can change. Mine has changed. Mine has changed since I've been in this church, hasn't it? Well, y'all can say yes because y'all have changed too. <laughs> you know, but, but I'm still the same person. And, and so folks that know me, and maybe somebody you went to high school with 30 years ago, they see you and, and they know you because your, your, your spirit and your soul, the, the person you really are, is what they know. And this, this outward shell we're going to talk more about in just a moment. But who we are, our, our spirit and our soul, it's going to continue. It's going to live forever. In 2 Corinthians 5, the, the Bible compares this body of ours to a tent. And, and as this comparison made, it, it talks about this tent's going to get old and this tent's going to get wore out and there's going to be pain and there's going to be suffering and there's going to be things that we come and our, our old tent's going to get tattered and it's going to get torn and it's going to, it's going to become feeble. And that's just the body that we're living in. That's what 2 Corinthians 5 talks about. The former president of the United States, John Quincy Adams, when he was 80 years of age, he had had a stroke and he was met by a friend and he took his trembling hand and he said, Good morning. How is John Quincy Adams today? And the retired chief executive looked on him for a moment and this was his reply. This is great. He, he had an understanding of what we're talking about today. He said, John Quincy Adam himself is quite well, sir, quite well. But in this house in which he lives at present is becoming dilapidated. It's tottering upon its foundation. Time and the seasons have almost destroyed it. Its roof is pretty worn out. Its walls are much shattered and it crumbles with every wind. The old tenement is becoming almost uninhabitable. And I think that John Quincy Adams will have to move out soon, but he himself is well, sir, quite well. And not long after that, he had his second and final stroke, and, and John Quincy Adams, he, he moved from that shaky tenement, as he called it, into his home that was not made with hands. See, he had an understanding of what we're talking about. And in our text today, both men died and, and, and death changed everything for these men. For Lazarus, he had suffered, he had pain, he had, he had all of these things. They were all ended immediately. And for the rich man, he had time on, life, on this earth of, of abundance and of ease and, and that was ended immediately. Here's all we're told about the beggar. He died. That's it. I mean, that's all we see here. And, and the fact that we're not told about anything about him being buried, and that is mentioned about the rich man, it leads us to believe that during that time, Lazarus was carried to the city dump and he was burned. That's what they did. Someone who actually had nothing. So he was just carted away. And, and there with all the trash, he was just burned up. Now, the rich man, 
As we look at this, it talks about him not him being buried, so it doesn't say exactly, but we can imagine what happened. He he's a rich man. He he probably was given a, a glorious send off. He he was uh, had a funeral, probably the best that money could buy. He would have had likely had a, a, a the best preparations in regards to to spices and to anointings and all of these things and all of these fine linens, all of these preparations that's made for the body during death and and a nice tomb in which his body was laid. That sounds much like our day again, doesn't it? How many people have prepared for the funeral? Here's what I want and here's how things will be and how so many pay for the funeral without ever preparing to really die. As we look at this story, the rich man who may have considered himself a religious man, he, he may have given, he may have been faithful to the synagogue, he, he may have been a, a giver of money for religious causes. I mean, we don't know a lot about him, but we know during that day, the, the temples and synagogues, they relied on those kind of people a lot of times, and the revelation of where each of these men ended up, men ended up after death, it would have been an amazement to the Jews. Because in their their lives, and Jesus' original audience said would have seen this, they held the assumptions that wealth were signs of God's blessings. So anytime they looked at someone who, who was really well off or thing, they, they said, that guy is really blessed by God. That, he has just poured his blessings out upon that person. The rich man lived without God in this world. He, he, he may have had a great appearance, but, but in his heart, in the very next day, the very next part of this, it says he died and he had no share with God. We see that in what we read. Thus forever he was lost. So not only one minute after you die will all your earthly prosperity, all, your, all the things you've prospered at, not only those, but all the sufferings that we may have, they're ended immediately. When we die. Here's the second thing. One minute after you die, eternity begins. Remember that. And again, one second. When we take that last breath on this earth, our next breath is in eternity. So immediately, one second, one minute after you die, eternity begins. There's a lot of confusion today about what happens at death, and I believe that we can have a brief explanation here, and I think we can find it right here in our, our passage of Scripture. In James 2.26, it talks about the body without the spirit is dead. That's what James says, the body without the spirit is dead. And we begin a whole new existence. Things forever change. Charles Wendall put it this way, When people die, only their bodies go to the grave. At the funeral, it's merely the physical shell we see lying in the casket. The real person, the soul, the spirit has already departed to either a place of torment or a place of comfort, depending on the person's, listen, spiritual condition. That's the key, that spiritual condition. I heard about a young pastor and he had, he had heard a preacher talking about a pecan and how the, the pecan, the, the shell of the pecan is just the outward body and the, the, the meat of the pecan is, is the spirit and, and when, the, when the, the body dies, the, the, the spirit leaves and, and the, the shell is left behind and, and he was up trying to comfort the, the, the family who her husband had just died and, and he got all tongue and he said, the, the, the man is gone, but the nut remains. You know, and that, I, it's not exactly what, what, what James is saying. 
But, but that's a good illustration. The, the inward part of us, when we go to that funeral and we see that body, it's just a, it's just a shell. Because who we are is gone instantly. And instantly we're in eternity. That's what we see. And when we read here in, in verse 22, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side and the rich man also died and was buried. Both of these men passed through death portal, both of them equally. They passed through and, and as we read this story, we can see that the, they were immediately, Lazarus was carried to Abraham's bosom. That's what the King James Version calls it. It's just another way to say heaven. That's, so when you read that, he immediately was carried to heaven. And, and it would seem that there's, it's clear there's no waiting period there's no time of being suspended between heaven and earth. Some people believe that. But when we read this, we see that, that Lazarus died and immediately he's carried to heaven. That's when eternity began in that last breath. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, So we are confident of this, knowing that while we are at home in this body, we are absent from the presence of the Lord. Paul's saying while we're living today, all of us here are living Knowing that, we're, we're confident that, that we're at home in this body and we're absent from the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that God's not living within us if we're Christians. But look at what he says in verse 8. But we are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. So that's Paul's telling us, hey, when we take our last breath, we're absent from our body. If we're born again Christians, we're in the presence of God. Immediately, there's no holding place there. And Lazarus was a man who had a relationship with God. And when he died, he was escorted by the angels to the very presence of God. Now, we could spend the rest of our time right here. The Bible says there's a new earth and there's a new heaven. And, and after the tribulation and all those things, those who are, who are children of God, we're gonna, we're gonna live on a new earth and a new heaven. We'll talk more about that later. But it would clearly seem that there's no place, there's no waiting, there's, there's nothing there that keeps us out of eternity. Lazarus died and after his death, there wasn't an end for him. His spirit and his soul was carried there to the presence of the Lord and our Savior. So that's the second thing. Here's the last thing. And, and of course, we can talk about the rich man, and we'll talk more about him in a couple of weeks. But the rich man also died. No angels carried him to the presence of God. A split second after he died, he was in a place called hell. And we see the description of that as, as he begins to talk to Abraham, and he begins to make these requests. But not only one minute after you die does eternity begin, but the last thing, the third minute thing, one minute after you die, here's the important thing, eternity is set forever. Eternity is set forever. There's not a time that, that uh, I'm going to be in this position or this state for so many years and then things will change. Once, once we die, eternity is set forever. The, this story tells us there's two distinctions for the soul. There's two distinctions for the time of death. One is a place of comfort and the other is a place of torment. And it's not my, my purpose this morning to spend any time at length on any of those subjects. We'll do that over the next few weeks. But, but sufficient for today is the knowledge that we understand that when we die, when we die, 
The next breath we take is in eternity. Now this morning, if you would think, well, that's, that's not really fair. <laughs> you know, if, uh, if, I, if I didn't accept Christ on earth, then uh, why would I spend eternity? Because God has given us a choice to make. He, he said, it's your choice. And while we're on this earth, we have a choice. And we live our life and we have a choice. And we choose today whom we'll serve. We choose to acknowledge that we're a sinner, that we have fallen. You know what? We're not a sinner because of something we've done. Do you believe that? That's true. We're a sinner because in the Garden of Eden, our great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather sinned. And because of his sin, we are inherited. We've inherited a sinful nature. Every person born of man is a sinner. The Bible teaches us that. It says if we're born of man, then we've inherited a sinful nature. So if you'd say, you know what, I've lived a great life. I look back over my life, I can't even think of a time that I've sinned. That doesn't matter. The Bible says you have a sinful nature. That's why when the, when the, the uh, Nicodemus came to Jesus, Jesus said, you've got to be born again. What does that mean? You have to be born with a new nature. So when we come to the point of our life of realizing, I'm a sinner by birth. I'm a sinner because I've inherited a sinful nature. And beyond that, I'm a sinner because of my sins then I need someone who will pay the price for my sin. The Bible says it's the payment and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Yet while we were sinners, not after we got things straightened out, but yet while we were sinners, Christ died that we might have eternal life. Here's the great part. Just simply by asking. The Bible says if we confess that we're sinners, God, I know I've sinned. God, I've failed you. I've inherited sinful nature. And I need someone to pay my price just by confessing that and saying, God, I want, I want you to pay my price. I want to ask you to come in my heart and I want you to save me. Then at that point, the Bible teaches this, we become a new creature. It even says we are a new creation. The Bible says we are born again in the family of God. One last scripture before we go. As the rich man's talking there and he's talking to Abraham and our eternity is set forever, Abraham says there's a great gulf fixed between us that no one can pass from here and no one can pass to there. That's, that's the picture of that, of that reason that eternity is set. Here's a great scripture in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. I want to ask you today, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? You, you may say, well, I, I think so. Or, man, I hope so. But you know what the Bible says? That's too big of a question to hope or to think. The Bible says we need to know, and 1 John 5.13 records this, These things I have written to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. You can know. You can know today. You can settle it today because one minute after death begins eternity. And we have a choice today. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me if you would. Right now in this place, you can know. 
We're going to talk about heaven next week, and it's more than we can imagine. It's more than we can say. But you know what? We can believe. Oh, I believe there's a God. I believe Jesus came. I believe all of those things, Brother Jake, you was talking about this morning. But you know what the Bible says? It says even the demons know, and they shudder. They shake just thinking about their eternal destiny. You can know and you can believe, but it takes a confession. And that's to the Father of confessing, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve the wages of sin, which is death, but I ask you to to take that death for me. I ask you, Father, to, to cover me with your blood. I ask you into my heart that I may have eternal life. There's no reason to leave this service today without knowing what awaits in eternity, without knowing what awaits you one second after you die. This morning, I want to ask that you just remain in a spirit of prayer. And we're not going to have any singing, but we're going to have the instruments play while we pray together. But I want to pray with you this morning. If you would say, you know, I really don't know, but I want to settle it. I want to ask you to pray this prayer with me. Let me tell you this. There's no magic in the prayer. There's no magic in saying the right words in the right order. But the, t- the ticket is this. If you believe in your heart what you're going to pray, then the Lord says this, that you're saved. He says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you'll be saved. That's in Romans. So this morning, if you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, I want to ask you to pray this prayer with me where you are. Dear Father, I know I'm a sinner. And Father, I ask right now that you'd forgive me of my sins, that you would come into my heart, and that you'd save me. Father, I believe that your son died on the cross to pay the payment for my sins. And I believe that he rose again on the third day after defeating death. And Father, now I ask you to be my Lord. And I pray this prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now this morning, if you prayed that prayer, and you really believe the words you really believe that Jesus died on a cross for your sins, you really believe that he was raised again, you really believe that there's forgiveness, you really believe that you ask him to come into your heart, then you can be saved. And we're going to have a time of invitation here in just a moment. I'm just going to ask the instruments to play. I'm going to ask Christians if you'd pray for everyone in this building today that needs to respond to your call, to, their, to God's call. And, and folks, this morning, put aside the, the distractions, put aside anything that would hold you back this morning. Just let go and let God have control. And you know what? That prayer and that decision changed eternity. 
The reason I ask you to come forward is Jesus said this. He said, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father. But if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who is in heaven. This morning, I want to ask if you would follow through with that prayer that you pray, just to come and share it with the church. The church would love to rejoice with you. We'd love to talk to you about being baptized. But that first step is that prayer of repentance. And Father, I pray now that we as a church would pray for one another, that you would guide us and direct us in the decisions that we would make in Jesus' name.